This is the Men 2 Podcast with Scott and Mick. On today's episode, a special interview with Steve Baxter, who tells us all about the government-created disaster known as the National Broadband Network, or MBN. For those that don't know, Steve is a telecoms and internet entrepreneur with over 20 years actual and successful experience in ISP and telecommunications companies. He founded early internet service provider SENet in the mid-90s, at the age of just 23. He co-founded Pipe Networks, an ASX-listed telecommunications provider, before being sold to TPG. He worked for Google in California, building multi-terabit networks across North America, and founded Brisbane tech startup co-working space, River City Labs. In recent years, he's become a major early-stage investor in Australian startups via his family office, Transition Level Investments. And he's one of the stars of Shark Tank on the 10 Network. And best of all, Steve is a straight shooter that's not afraid to let you know what he really thinks. So sit back and enjoy our interview with Steve Baxter. So Steve, before we get to the elephant in the room, uh, or the elephant in 8 million premises around Australia by 2020, as we're told by the government, we just want to have a dig into your background a bit. Um, you left high school at 15 and joined the army through an apprenticeship program, and that's where you learned your trade as an engineer. Um, yeah, no, look, uh, sorry, I did. I joined the army apprenticeship program, age 15. Um, what's worse than recruiting a 15-year-old? <laughs> Getting them to sign a nine-year contract. <laughs> so, um, so no, I really enjoyed that, to be honest. Um, looking back on it, probably at the times uh, there were some pretty uncomfortable parts. Uh, I was posted to Victoria for three years down in Wodonga, where I did my apprenticeship. And then uh, Brisbane for three years, and then Adelaide for three, three years. years. Uh, I wasn't an engineer; I was a technician. technician. So we did everything. We did, we did you know, we basically we were radio tradespeople. But mm-hmm. um, I, I did, you know, uh, tank fire control systems, uh, you know, guided weapons. Uh, we did the radiation protection. So I did a course at Lucas Heights for two weeks. That was fantastic. That was fascinating. Yeah. Um, so they called us Jack of all trades, master of none. It was pretty, yeah. pretty accurate, to be honest. Is that, I mean, as far as apprenticeships go, would you recommend that to some young kid who's... Well, I wish they still existed in, in to some degree to the, to the, to the to how they did back then. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think we should recruit 15-year-olds. I think that was actually <laughs> tragic. As a dad now, I find it just horrifying. Yep. But um, so I, I wish there were those sort of options more readily available for sure. Very practical, very hands-on. The, the, the men and women who came, because we were probably the second or third year they started recruiting female apprentices as well, who, yep. who came for that program are just... You know they're the backbone of the industry. They're the they're the maintenance managers, supervisors, and you know they're the they're the, the people who are who are running the shows for probably you know eighty percent of Australia's export industries. Yeah. So you were so as you said, you signed up for nine years. In ninety four, you put your life savings into which was what about eleven thousand bucks into an grand. ISP. Yeah, it was about almost twenty percent of the price of a house then. <laughs> that was a house one hundred twenty five grand. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. you know it was, yeah. it was a fair bit. That this was in Adelaide. Yep. Twenty three years old. Um, you end up running this ISP out of your bedroom and bedroom, spare yeah. room. Didn't that, well, the first house we stalled into, we didn't own the house. It was an army married quarter right. um, and installed 14 phone lines. And, and people always say, what did the army think about that? So I didn't tell them because I knew they'd say no. <laughs> so it was a pretty pointless conversation, to be honest. Um, and uh, yeah, configured some computers, plugged some gear in and people started dialing in and, and you know, we were charging an ARP, you know, I suppose. Uh, providing a service, we were aggregating all that, all that capacity together in order to get a better outcome for customers. Yep. Um, started in, in the, the rental house, and we ended up buying the house next door. Believe it or not, <laughs> um, another crazy story. Um, before moving finally down into the city, because we're in the outskirts of Adelaide, in the southern beautiful oh little right. suburb in the southern suburbs called Flagstaff Hill. Yep. Um, 
and uh, we ended up moving to Grote Street in Adelaide City, and you know it, it didn't look backwards from there. Literally, we couldn't install equipment fast enough. You know, we still took cash. We couldn't bank cash fast enough. Sometimes <laughs> it was it was all crazy stuff. Yeah, late nineties was crazy stuff. Um, and you were bought by Oz Email, who was run by our former. Well, Prime it was. It was I think one of the, the first. I, mean, I think the first serif industri- uh, um, professional money in the Aussie mail was Malcolm Turnbull and we had a syndicate with Malcolm Turnbull at the yeah. very least. And he was chairman of the company, I believe, at the time. Yeah. But it was started by a chap called Sean Howard. I never met Malcolm until. Oh, you never met him? Not until about 2004. I was lobbying him for um, something when he was. I think it was undersecretary. It, was, it, was, it, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, a front-ranking cabinet position. It was like a secretary or something for telecoms. I can't recall yeah. now, to be honest, but I lobbied him and then. So, yeah. So you, uh, you sold to Aussie mail when late. Yeah, it was two tranches, 99 and 2000. 99 about, 2000. about 13 months apart, so yeah. Yep. And then you were into um, Pipe Networks by 2001 with your high yeah. school mate, Bevan. Yeah, so we started that in two th- late 2001. Um, we threw a bit of money in the hat together um, and, you know, kicked off... I, 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 we kicked off the, the telecoms revolutions that, that, that subsequently occurred in Australia. Yeah. We built small-scale data centres, uh, dark fibre networks, what we call peering points. And then sort of finally, I suppose, we built a submarine cable from Sydney to Guam. Yeah, well, that was, um, I think that's pretty remarkable. People don't realise, and you were doing that during the financial crisis when it was pretty hard to get uh, financing at Yeah, that time. well, the fact we lived through it was the more remarkable part. <laughs> I mean, you know, I tell the story that I might have the dates wrong, but, you know, we, we, listed, in, we listed in May 2005, yeah, and I'm at 40 cents and... All the fantastic brokers wanted to water us down to 30 cents, but seeing as you're a broker, I'll <laughs> just keep out of that. Um, and um, <laughs> I was a broker. Yeah, we were a broker. There you go. Um, so, you know, I think three weeks later, might have been, you know, very soon after, we had a, we had a $1 party down at the Pig and Whistle on Eagle Street, yeah. which is where all the good parties happen. Yeah. And then um, we, you know, I think we hit about 4 bucks 80 in, in, sort of in the months before the GFC really bit. Mm. Um, we'd started a project to build a, the submarine cable. We'd, we'd, we'd borrow about $40 million bucks at that stage. I think we'd probably raise about 40 as well, yeah, I would yeah. say. In, in various capital raisings and rights issues and God knows what else. And um, and then the GFC hit and literally all the customers who'd committed went away. You know, the, the, the banking syndicate we're putting together disappeared. They literally just fired floors full of bankers and yeah. it wasn't because of us. It was just that, you know, as you know, the debt market stopped. Yep. So they got rid of these people. So that left us in a less than, less than good spot. And I think the share price got as low as a buck eighty five from four eighty yeah. in a very short period of time. I can remember going in actually to put a bid in to buy some stock. <laughs> so you're pushing the price down. There were no though to buy it and there was no there was nothing on the bid. Mm. It was just all asks. But yeah. that, that was pretty common for a lot of stocks back then. Yeah, and, and so we started a process. Now we, we'd committed to build this hundred and... I keep, it, 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 I keep getting confused between the US and the Aussie dollar. It was 10 years ago, right? Yeah. So 11 years ago. But I mean, we committed to build this in a $150, $60 million project. Mm. And we'd probably put about... I think we put about 25 million bucks at that stage into some work. And, you know, the, the company we contracted one of the other, one of the rest of it, because fair enough, it's a contract. Yeah. And so we were in a lot of strife. Um, we worked with Macquarie Bank. We worked with a few people, and we ended up engaging with Macquarie Bank to look at our corporate options in inverted commas, which is you know code for hey, come and buy us, get us out of this trouble. Yep. And and you know, they worked with us. How fantastic to to take us through a process of you know, a bit of an international sort of beauty parade, and we got the company back up to a point where we we, we raised some money at about five bucks, about five ninety, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that was we were back on the mend. We were good. We could actually raise cash and pay this cable. Yeah for the most part. And then uh, TPG Telecom came along and said, oh, it's okay, we'll, we'll take you out for $6.30. Yeah, that was the worst decisions that you made, I think. As a, right? as speaking as a shareholder. Oh, um, no, you, you didn't live through the near-death days, right? <laughs> so um, what did you buy in that? 
Oh, two fifty, and then I, I participated in the raise that was lower than that. I think that that first raise, right in the teeth of the crisis, was even lower than two fifty, wasn't it? I'll have to go back and have a look. Yeah. I'll in there. But you know, no, look, I did all right out of it. No worries. Mm. But uh, it would be worth a hell of a lot more today, wouldn't it? Um, every, things that work in hindsight always are. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I just had to get that stab in there. <laughs> Plenty of people have. <laughs> Um, what does Warren Buffett say? That you know, how do you make so much money on a deal? You, you always sell too early. Yeah. Because you hold on and sell too late, you're stuffed, right? Yeah, yeah. So well, been there, done that. Mm. I uh, in the in the in the tech mania, as you would have known. Do you remember a company called Davnet? Oh yeah, yeah, no Davnet. Oh, that's yeah. that, that, that quite well. So yeah. Yeah, my God. Uh, you know, started another company called. Um, Bevan took out the company here. Started another company called. Um, Oh, the the uh, Superloop. Uh, no, the, the 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 wireless company that Superloop or Mega. Oh on board. yeah, Jason um, Ashton. Jason Ashton. He yeah, was, yeah. was Davnet. Yeah, yeah, he was Davnet, yeah. and then he went. Yeah, yeah. I bought them actually. Though. Big Air. That was it. Big, Big Air. Yeah, yeah I bought it. them at um, eleven cents, and they ended up at a dollar, but I sold them at twenty five. See, Still there you go. Made a profit. <laughs> Big Air. Yeah, Jason Ashton. Actually, mm. I started out in broking with uh, in the technology side, uh, working on databases with a guy who built the data back end for Davinet at the time. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah, that was back, I don't know, 97, something like that. And the MBN came along and destroyed the entire bloody thing. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's get on to that, shall we? Um, you published an article three years ago now, oh. if, if innovation really counts. Mm. In the first, very first paragraph, you say, I don't like the MBN. It was foisted on us by dishonesty and naivety. You mm. want to uh, expand on... The dishonesty and the naivety. Um, well, yeah. Um, you know, telecoms to, to an outsider is really easy. You go home, you know, you get some broadband connected, you configure your Wi-Fi and your DHCP, and you're a bloody genius, aren't you? <laughs> and therefore, you believe you can build a national network. Yep. And that's the characters. That's the same mindset these characters took into this. Yep. Um, so the dishonesty. Um, the dishonesty, is, I suppose, is where, where the problem lay. So... Um, so the dishonesty was, I suppose, and it's a very much a political thing, right? whereas if you promise people free stuff, they'll probably vote for you, right? And mm-hmm. so essentially all we got promised was free stuff. I mean, we in our bones knew from Pipe Network, so we'd raised... I, mean, I, I tell the, the story about how we raised, and I might have these numbers slightly wrong again, but I don't think so, because I did research them a while ago, but when we did our first DSLAN build-out, so back back before there was competitive DSL, it was really hard to get your gear into Telstra exchanges, and if you could get your gear into Telstra exchanges, it was really hard to get fibre in there. Yep. So we, we took it on ourselves to build out, I think it's going to be 19, that being like 108 or 106 Telstra exchanges on the east coast of Australia. So we actually put competitive back all in. I think it cost us, we raised 16 million bucks to do that. Private money, as you know, you yep. know, we weren't, there's no government money in there. And um, uh, from that, we think our customers spent around about 250 million bucks putting equipment in those exchanges. And all of a sudden you went from only being able to get at max speed 1.5 megabit per second DSL, despite the fact that the base level tech could deliver eight. So mm-hmm. Telstra said, we only think this is good for you plebs at 1.5 meg, not eight. Right. As soon as everywhere our, our fiber touched, our competitors put equipment in and it was instantly capable of up to 24 megabits a second. And yep. the same day, all the Telstra gear was <laughs> instantly capable of 24 megabits a second. <laughs> that taught me an important lesson as to what what competition does. Yep. Massive, you know, it was just that the presence of competition actually got a better outcome. Yep. And you say what you want about the technology, copper, and, and, and there's, there's a lot of things that are, are misunderstood about why the copper network was bad. Copper doesn't deteriorate. It, it, it's it's freaking, it's, it's one of those what, inert metals, if you know what I mean. Yep. It, it barely rusts. However, if you're a monopoly operator, 
right? And you're sitting there looking at your monopoly, Telstra Telecom. Right? I often say that the reason we're in this problem we, we, we are now is because everyone forgot the word telecom, right? But you're a monopoly operator and you go, right, it's going to cost me a billion dollars this year to maintain my cable system. If I only spend $900 million, how many customers will I lose? None, because I'm the monopoly. Yep. Yeah, but I only spend $900 million. And so over the years, this thing just got to be, it was poorly looked after. In a sense, it was poorly recorded. Yep. Uh, copper networks go bad. If, if you don't, if when you leave a house, for example, and you get your phone disconnected, yep. what they actually do is they just mark in the database somewhere that that phone number's disconnected and they'll, they'll take, they'll, they'll cut it at some point along the route, but they won't disconnect at all. Yep. And so when they actually then rejoin to go down other streets, they may reuse parts of your line. So you might have a line coming from the exchange going to your house, which is also accidentally joined to another line going two kilometres that way, going nowhere. Right. That's called an antenna. You know, it's really bad for quality. They just haven't disconnected that because they had no imperative to because you know, it's, if it's poor quality, who really cares? No one's going to leave. Right. So a, a lot of it, and, and copper does have the distance issue. You know, it does deteriorate. We have to, up to 24 meg. It does deteriorate over distance. That's, yep. that's a known thing. But you know, if there was competitive pressure on the last mile telecommunications broadband, do you think Telstra would have taken better care of it? And what we've done is we've actually created a brand new telecommunications monopoly. Yeah. Fiber fails. I've owned the stuff. I've installed it all around the world. It has a different failure mode. Mm-hmm. This stuff and the NBN is also newer. And newer stuff takes longer to fail, but yep. it still does fail. Now, right now, the monopoly operator is going to go, right, it's going to cost me a billion dollars a year to maintain my fiber to the whatever network. If I only spend $900 million, what will I lose? Nothing. We've got exactly the same problem. Mm. There is a bit more pressure now from mobile networks, I have to admit. Yep. But for the most part, fixed line to consumers in Australia is really legislatively difficult. Legislatively difficult. So they've, they've got no real fixed line competition. So you're going to see the same problems replicated because yep. every capitalist wants to be a monopolist. That's the best spot. That's <laughs> the most lazy spot to be, right? It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And when you get there, then you just get fat, dumb and lazy. Well, I think... I mean, and so, and so, so, so we, we didn't understand the problem. The problem was we'd, we'd been in 1997, the, the, the Howard government implemented the um, uh, 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 deregulated telecoms. Yep. It was mostly actually a Beasley plan, Beasley plan. And right. I think if, if the, the previous government stayed there, we had a, would have had a similar outcome, yep. to be honest. But you know, they won, they take credit for it. Um, and that was good. We'd only been like not even 10 years into that before they started proposing MBN. Right. So there's all this stuff that was getting worked out. It took two or three years to work out how competitors could access underground infrastructure, Duxt, for example, mm-hmm. which is what Pipe Networks did. Um, it took another, another three, four years after that until competitors could get into the exchanges. Whilst it was in the legislation, there was still the regulatory argy-bargy, the first legal fights to have to understand the framework. Yep. That could have been short-circuited and gone a shorter period of time. And there was, in that article, at the end, I sort of say there was a bunch of things we can do yep. with land access, with... Uh, appearing interconnection that would, would you know would have cost us almost nothing and got better outcomes yeah so we, we weren't even a decade into deregulation uh, and we and decided we to decided. go back to monopoly <laughs> well, i actually call this regulatory battered spouse syndrome <laughs> right? you can't say battered wives anymore um and it is it, it's like um, oh my god for some reason you know i, I can't get i i can't get the, the the same quality and price of internet i can in let's say north america or in in europe yeah therefore we need to go back to monopoly so more of the dishonesty is comes from um, do you know we have the wor- in Australia we have the world's second poorest population density? Yeah, that's think after Iceland me. or Greenland or something stupid yeah, like that, that right? Surprise me. Yeah. So, if, to compare us to Singapore, which has probably the world's biggest, you know, yep. in the first world sense, biggest population, uh, well, densest. I population lived in density. Tokyo, I think, which is the densest. Yeah. Uh, so with telecoms, the closer you are together, the cheaper it is yep. and the easier it is. Is that simple? The commercially easier it is anyway, I should say. So, yeah. 
And the further you live apart, the harder it is, the more expensive it is. Mm-hmm. We live about as far apart as you can possibly get, yep. right? Or by Greenland or some other place. So, so that's part of the naivety, right? Yeah. You just can't compare apples with apples. Yep. Um, the, when, when, you, and when you look at the problems and you look at what Pipe Networks did to bring a little bit of backhaul into the market and to get such an amazing competitive counter-reaction, counter, mm-hmm. amazing competitive reaction, from, from our customers providing these services and then bringing the, the main carriers in the line was, was spectacular. The other one that rings a bell with me was when we did the, the cable to Guam. Yep. We were actually looking to buy capacity for ourselves. And we, we pulled up Google Earth, you know, remember the, the globe on Google Earth and you could work out how far things were away. And it was actually quite, to visualise distances and places like that was quite incredible. And we were like, oh, let's build a cable to America. How far is it? You know, oh, 14,000 kilometres. Shit, I can't cost more than what? 10 bucks a metre? This is literally the... Yep. It cost a bit more than that to let you know, but you know we were <laughs> going through this and saying, what's, what's it going to cost? How do we do this? And we, we, we overlaid a, a map of all the submarine cables of the world. We found there was this little spur going from the US to Japan, and there was a, excuse me, a cable going from the US to Japan with a spur down to, to Guam. Yep. Guam's only about 9,500 kilometres away, as it turns out. And the people who owned that cable really wanted a deal. They, they wanted to do something because they, they had eventual plans to build to Australia. Dotcom one happened and it all fell yep. apart. Yep. So we, we started the plan to, uh, to build there, but we, the reason we did it was because to buy capacity on that cable system for what's called an, an indefeasible right of use, so a, a right to a small chunk of the capacity on that network or that cable for, for, it, for the life it can stay, um, for its life, yep. uh, which is a 10 gigabit per second um, wavelength. So yep. access to 10 gig a second for the life of the cable was 100 million bucks. Mm. Um, uh, we... Um, we made a press release and it fell to 87. By the time the cable got wet, it was they were still deploying the boat. It hit 23. Right, this is this is what competition does, yeah. and, and you know, this is what they've removed with MBN. They've removed competition. Their, their thinking is just batshit crazy. Yeah. And, and now I think you can get it for a couple of million, probably I think it's five or six million bucks. Yeah. So and there's a lot more competition now. So competition is is really good. From the basic basic customer out there who's not a tech head, I mean they think. Yeah, they're not they're not aware of the operating costs of owning a network, so they think that paying more for faster speeds is actually yeah, so that I, makes I, sense. I, I, I fully encourage you to read that article because no, no newspaper would publish that. It's long; it'd be hard to get up. I get that. Yeah, right. yeah. But so I, if, I, um, if, if you want to actually have an informed voice in this debate, you, you need to actually be informed and be smart. And if you're not, piss off because we're here because unclever people got to have a say. Yeah. So if you if you don't if you don't if you if, honestly if you disagree with any of that article, I will call you a network anti-vaxxer. Because <laughs> regardless of what you're told, you still believe bullshit. So the, I mean, I, I just pulled up some plans yesterday. TPG says sixty bucks a month, unlimited ten megabits a second. You got to pay an extra ten bucks to get up to forty-three, and you got to pay an extra twenty bucks to get up to seventy-one. Now, you, as you point out, though, the cost of operating a network is, that, is, is the is same. Is that an MBN? Is that an MBN plan, or is that just a TPG yeah. plan? Because they've got a lot of non-MBN plans. They've got their own network, so. Uh, but I, I think the point you make is look. the cost operator network. If, it's if you the same network, if it's one percent or a hundred percent. It costs you the same. So, so the, the cost to operate it, not the co- not the price you charge customers. There's some nuances in, right. in the language here, which is yeah. really important. Um, so yes, yeah, so if you if you own um, if, if you own a, a network from that you've built, um, you know it, it might cost you a hundred bucks a year to keep that network segment alive and power and, and, and proportionally people and whatever. Yep. And if one person uses it at one megabit a second, or a hundred people use it at a thousand megabits a second, which it can support a speed. It actually still costs you the same the to operate. Same. It. So there's no point for these tiered speed plans, is there? I mean, it's just no. Uh, I mean, at the time it was seen as a way to 
You know, I, I think there's none. I, I can't understand the rationale. I, I can, but I can't see how they thought about it for that long. <laughs> so, um, well, it's so telecoms in Australia is easy. You mentioned eight million households before. I mean, I, I round up and say there's ten million households in Australia. Yeah. Like, I, well, they say point. premises. They're including businesses there as well. Well, premises might be a multi-tenant building too. Yeah. So, um, but the, the, generally, there's only about nine point two million phone uh, landline phone numbers in Australia. Right. So that's about ten million households. Yep. Let's call it that, which is great for mathematics. Now, let's say that it costs, I don't know, 1000 bucks a year per household to keep things going, right? Is that 10 bill, right? Um, uh, is that right, 10 bill? Yeah, 10 bill, right? Mm. And it's not that. Trust me, it's not that. It's probably closer to about 100 Let's say it's 100 bucks a year a household to maintain, yeah. right? To keep the power on, keep the lights on. Um, that's a billion dollars in maintenance per year. And if you, if, you, if you divide 100 by 12, you get eight bucks a month. So for eight bucks a month, you can have a limited capacity in this network. Yep. Not more than a hundred. Let's say it's two hundred. All right. So for sixteen bucks a month. Yeah. You know, it's no, it's, it's somewhere between I think between one and three and a half billion dollars to maintain this thing. So, um, you know, if if we're going to reinflict a monopoly on ourselves, where's the upside? Yeah. The upside shouldn't be that monopoly treats us as a commercial sucker. Yeah. It should be that it actually divide, it delivers a monopoly utility service. So, um, yeah. Oh, what question am I answering? Do I answer any question? I just butting. No, I was I was just getting to the point about, you know, the average person out there thinks, oh, yeah, I've got to pay more for faster speeds, but actually, there's absolutely no reason you should be paying more for faster. I was, speeds. I was actually I was actually a boardroom lunch with um with, um years ago. When I was really embarrassed. I was invited to this lunch. And I had the RSVP and I got there, and I was a little bit late. I got two or three minutes late getting there, and the table was set, and like there was no place for me. Like, you know, so I had to pull like a little small chair on the side up for me. I felt like I was at the kids' table. It was really embarrassing. But Malcolm Turnbull was the draw card. This is way before his PM. Yep. And um, and and he, he, you know, he's a very good speaker. And he gave a little talk on whatever he was talking about. And and then uh, you know, the head of head of NAB and friggin' Australia Poster there, and God knows what else. All these captains of industry. I, it was all pretty cool. And um, I yeah. Uh, and I did, as he finished, he was right. Any questions? Any questions? Because I felt like such an interloper on the side, like looking on the yep. corner of this table. I thought I'm not going to ask anything. This is embarrassing. No one asked a question. I thought I'm fucking here to ask questions. Yeah. So we got into NBN, and he d- destroyed me in the debate with not a single correct fact. <laughs> it was annoying because <laughs> I said the whole thing. I said, you know, it, it, this thing costs the same. Operate well. You know, that's not right, Stephen. Doesn't you know? The more you use it, the more it costs. I said, no, no, that's not right. <laughs> it's actually. It's, it's like saying one plus one equals three. It's, it's actually just not. And how do you? This this man who took on this the first book I ever read when I was, uh, the first adult book I suppose I ever read was Spy Catcher. Right. Which you know, which he he obviously had a huge part in that story when when um, um, Peter. What was his name? Was the chap, the, the spy came to Australia and he actually defended him, right? Yep. So you know, I had a, he had a bit of a special place in my head. Yeah. Um, and he's, you know, he's a good arguer. Right. You know, but he, you know, he just didn't none of it with any fact that day. So <laughs> it's a really hard, it's a really hard discussion to have in a, you know, in a grown up way. We hope you're enjoying the podcast, and if you'd like to support us to keep it going, you can donate via PayPal at paypal.me/men2pod. Well, to um. Rub insult into injury. Let's talk about this, um, the so-called CVC, the Connectivity mm. Virtual Circuit Charge, which is, at the time you wrote was $17.50 per megabit per second per month, which drops to 11 bucks if you have enough volume. Yep. Um, and this is levied on your ISP. So this is three years ago. So I've got the updated figures. Would you like some updated, yeah, updated figures? Yeah, So um, um, you still can pay at the $17.50 level if you want. It's a very flexible tier to pay on. Yep. Or you, you, with bundles, you can get as low as eight, which surprised the shit out of me, actually. Right. That's, that's happened in the more recent sort of six to eight months. Yep. So um, eight bucks 
Uh, so if you actually purchase this, is, you have to purchase a 50 slash 20 plan. Yep. Um, which is 45 bucks a month and it comes with two meg of CVC so, and then extra is eight bucks. Um, but curiously, if you actually buy the 25 meg plan, it will actually cost you more. <laughs> so they're really encouraging people to do it. Well, it's good actually. They, they should encourage people to, I think it's a dumb way to do it. Yeah. The, the fact there's any speed tiers. Yeah. But um, they're actually encouraging people to buy more, which, mm. is, which is really good. Um, so and, but you can still do the 17.50 based on various bits and pieces. So I'd say it's between eight and $17.50 would be my update there. So, but you say in the article actually that under a competitively owned setup, it'd probably cost you closer to a dollar. A dollar, yeah. So, for example, under DSL, if you were to actually install your own equipment into the Telstra Exchange yep. and operate a DSL service, and actually Graham Samuels last week came out and spoke about how why is it the NBN is costing more than DSL did, and that's actually for poorer service. So, um, but if you bought the it was called a, a line sharing service. Mm. So essentially, the customer sell the buy you buy your, your telephone line from Telstra for twenty. 30 bucks a month rental, for yeah. example, and Telstra get the bottom bit of, of, of the spectrum, which is voice, and you get everything above that. It's like three bucks a month. So if you were within, let's say, two kilometers of the exchange, you could get like sort of 12 to 14 meg. Yep. You paid three bucks a month for it. <laughs> As opposed to eight bucks a meg a here, yeah. for example. And to give you some idea of the same conversation I had, um, so I, I've collected information, I suppose, at transit costs. So to actually get, to buy internet access to the world, so to go from LA to Sydney. Yep. Um, and in fact, this chat was in Melbourne, but Sydney, Melbourne, same place, really, um, in network terms. Yep. Um, it's somewhere between about $0.60 cents and $2.50. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So, um, it's cheaper. And, and I have other information, which, I, which I've, I've, uh, the other people are doing it, who, who are well below the dollar for how right. they're actually purchasing capacity per month. So, the, it's a lot better than seventeen fifty. It started at 20 I mean, the original labour plan was $20 yeah. per, for the CVC charge. We always called it a bit tax. Um, at 17, um, they, they tried the 11 to 14, and now with the bundles, you can get as low as eight. Yeah. So, and this was all done in the name of making it commercially viable, right? This was the only way to sell it as commercial. This is the only way to keep the expenditure from the budget. Yeah. So, because it, it's really cool that the government inflict a certain set of financial rules on corporations and have a totally separate set of rules for themselves. For themselves. Yeah. Um, so, um, a, they can actually call the project commercially viable if it earns 3.25% apparently per annum. Right. Which no sane capitalist in the world would actually touch right. No. Um, so <laughs> the rule being that if, if it's a government, if it's commercial, if, it, if, it, if it's a project that will actually deliver a commercial return, then it can sit in a little, it's a little private balance sheet off to the side. So all these horrible government um, uh, deficits we've seen yep. don't contain any MBN capital spending. I believe they do contain the interest that we're paying on that money. Right. Um, of course, we are we are borrowing this and we are spending it because yep. we're in deficit, right? Yep. So, um, yeah, so it's all done. The CBC is done in order to, to generate the myth that it's getting a commercial return in order to keep the expenditure from the budget. So is there is there a point to be made here about projects like this, not hamstringing them with this sort of uh, they must get a return on asset? You, you give this analogy about uh, roads. Mm. We should think of it like that. Do you want to? I'm a libertarian. Libertarians, we always struggle with the, road, the concept of roads, right? We always we 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 we, we mash it up terribly. But so, um, and the one thing I'll say is, is it it's the it's the, the easiest analogy for me to from for me to use um, if you don't understand how it works. So, a, a piece of fibre cable I call an infinite lane freeway, hmm. whereas every other freeway in the world has a finite number of lanes, usually yeah. one to three, right? Maybe five in the big cities. Yep. But literally, a fibre cable has 
no known recorded top speed for bandwidth. It literally, it keeps going. It's infinite. Yep. So it's a little hard to apply the same thing. However, um, you get you get charged. Excuse me. You get uh, charged the same to use a road. Let's say you've got a four seater car, where there's one seat full, or there's three, or there's four seats full. Whether you go 80 kilometres an hour or 100 kilometres an hour, there's no difference to use that road. You can actually uh, impact your own expenses. You know, you can use a fuel-efficient vehicle or a non-fuel-efficient vehicle, yep. and a bunch of other decisions that you get to make. But but essentially, the, the road has a flat use. Yep. Um, uh, flat usage charge. Excuse me. So um, it's a poor. It's the best analogy because you can't apply that to something which is essentially infinite. But that's it. Yeah. When you think about it, it's it's fixed cost, but infinite capacity. Yeah. It, it, it's mind blowing. Why we charge usage on this? Is and I sort of get it, but you know I, I think the usage should be closer to fifty cents a meg yep. if you're going to enforce something. The problem you got now is we've we've given ourselves a monopoly, um, and and there, there are amazing productivity downstream benefits if you get this right. We haven't got it right, but if yep. you do get it right, and we're not going to get it right if people don't use it. Right? If you can't afford to use it, you're not going to get the productivity benefits. Yeah. So um, if they need to recover, let's say, the $2 billion a year it's going to cost to operate this thing, plus let's say $2 billion a year for the next 20 years in order to pay it back, it's $4 billion. So we've got to charge 400 bucks a year per household, for example. So I'm just doing math on top of my head here, which is about, what, 30 bucks, 35 bucks a month? A month, yeah. Right? yeah. Minimum wholesale price at the moment is 45 <laughs> right? So that that should be the charge and if you did that and like literally you had no speed tiers you had no usage charges or very low like you know tens of cents you know, yep. below, below a buck then all of a sudden people would use a good deal more and they'd find ways to use it and they'd find ways yeah. to, to get productivity and you, you would actually then roll on all the productivity benefits we're not we're not, we're not getting over that, that that price value productivity hump at the moment yeah so yeah. i mean that's the point isn't it I mean, you say i think in the article that if if the idea was to build something that was fast and that's just a dumb idea to begin with. The, the idea is to reap the, the benefits of the productivity, as you say. Because, I mean, your point is you want people to use it more, don't you? So you why do. are you putting impediments in front well, of them? Do they, though? I mean, you know, there's so many things. It's a weird thing, you know. It's, what are we going to use it for? So, uh, you know, uh, and, and at the time when they sort of they moved to the benefits of this thing, they sort of talked about eye health and e-health and e-education. And yep. you know, I can't ring my doctor to get my blood test results. I've got to visit him face-to-face, -face, right, <laughs> so he can pick up his Medicare thing. Yep. Let's, let's start there, shall we? Because we mm -hmm. might find that works pretty good over Skype on your mobile phone. Yep. You know what I mean? And so th there's so much other work to be done that you could, you could be getting the efficiency from now yep. over, over a lower speed network, mm. um, which would then prove the efficacy for a higher speed network. Yep. So, um, but I think the bigger point is, is you know, I don't really care. I'm a bit like, bit like power. We can talk about energy if you want me. I'll give it rat bag there too. Yeah. But um, I, I don't really care what delivers my my um my bits uh, mm. i don't care if it's wet string and tin cans providing it's fast and inexpensive yep same as yep. power i don't care what it is providing it's cheap and reliable yeah and well, the technology i'm so agnostic on it's amazing you um talking about energy you bring that up in the article i think um you make the parallel about this the government regulated return on assets which has just been a disaster um, you wait till we but, but the gold plating of the network you wait till we start plugging electric cars into our houses we're going to love that gold plated network right because the, the grid's going to melt yeah <laughs> that's the next that's the next shit fight sorry sorry mate. yeah no 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 you're right i was just going to ask you um like to make if you could make that analogy with with the energy industry where that sort of return on asset model that the government's insisted on is well i think in the article i make it it's something to be to be to be wary of yeah. if you go down that route um because in in the in it, 
with the electric, with electricity business because there was a um, the only way that power companies could make money was if they they could get a return from assets. So they over over uh, over invested in assets. They gold plated assets. Right. And you know if they could borrow money at two percent, but they could get a six percent return, well they got a four percent uplift in the middle. Yep. And that was how they made their money. It's yep. despicable. Um, so uh, and, and if so, if we're, if we're going to take a, a power network view of the MBM, we have to be careful that sort of crap doesn't happen again. Yeah. There has to be mechanisms to to ensure that doesn't occur. You know, the best mechanism is competition. Yep. Um, but this is this this is why also you know lots of other things you know why governments shouldn't own things. <laughs> so one of the one of the exceptionally viable ways to compete with MBM now will be with it's being called five G. Yep. But even before 5G right now, there's guys out there doing what they call fixed um, fixed wireless. Yep. So it's not... When you say wireless, people think of the Wi-Fi at home and how potentially unreliable that is, mostly because it's, you know, delivered on really cheap gear. Yep. But there's a lot of people out there. There's a chap up in Gladson who's got 800 customers. He provides, like, near... He uh, unlimited internet service and they get about 70 to 100 megabits a second each. Wow. It's about 2,000 bucks an install. And basically, it's a little radio dish, one up on a big tower on a mountain, one on your house. They point at each other. They're robust. Yep. They've survived cyclones and don't get, you know, don't get re- uh, misaligned. Yep. And it, it costs, two, you know, it costs averages, averages of $4,000. Sorry, the minimum is a $4,000 MBN, uh, MBN install. This guy does it for, I think, I think it's, it's $1,200. Anyway, it's way less than two grand. I can't yep. recall exactly why less than two grand. This requires licensed spectrum. So the you know, spectrum is the air we use to, to, to broadcast frequencies and, and, mm-hmm. and, and bits and uh, literally bits and bytes of information. So the government control that, right? So through the spectrum, which is fine. I, mean, I think someone has to regulate it and it yeah. shouldn't be private enterprise. Government's probably the best person to do that, even as a libertarian, I say that. Um, but uh, now they're talking about giving priority access to this competitive uh, infrastructure right. to MBN. Jesus so even the competitive <laughs> spectrum that people can use to compete with MBN will be it won't be made unavailable, but you know it'll be the it'll be the dregs that get left over, that get handed over to, or it might not. It might take years for other people to get their allocations because yeah. some public servant's going to go. But but, uh, but if these guys win the auction, then that's going to compete against MBN, which is going to like you know stuff up the government return, mm. which it will. Yeah, it, it shouldn't feature in their calculation, but it will. And so, just another reason why government shouldn't own anything. <laughs> I think another part of this, I read in the in the Saturday paper a month ago, they had industry experts. Let's just put them in inverted commas. I know you love that term. Um, I like the best when they're academics and should have never been at Saudi some University. Some of them were. In oh, this they're dreadful, aren't they? Um, there's, there's a whole bunch of people out there. You know who you are. You're the guys who are. You're the guys who champion this. And honestly, if I wasn't, if I wasn't worried about getting caught in defamation, because I reckon I win the defamation case, <laughs> I'd just smash it totally. <laughs> It's all you Melbourne academics. You know who you are. Well, what got me about this article? They kept re- they keep repeating um, this phrase, very misleading. The industry expects, you know, that they're talking about they're going to have to write it down. They're talking about twenty billion, right? Um, and they're saying this will slug taxpayers to the tune of twenty billion. Now you got Matthias Corman saying those arguing for a write down. This is the quote: in order to facilitate lower prices and higher margins for other businesses and commercial interests in this industry, essentially arguing that the taxpayer rather than the customers should carry more of the cost of the burden the services provide. The money's been spent, hasn't it? We borrowed it. We're paying interest I on mean, it. It's been spent. It's been spent. It's a book entry at this point, isn't it? It's sitting on a mythical balance sheet off the right-hand side of the real balance sheet, right? Yeah. I, have, I, I've, I just, um, you know, we're probably pretty lucky that, that journalists, you know, don't have much time, unfortunately, to actually dig that hard in, or they're not that clever. <laughs> journalists, I'll give you the first one, just to yeah. stay friendly with you. But... um. So, no, I don't believe that at all. The reality is, is what's actually happened, the reason MBN's going slow is because um, it costs so much to operate. No. Um, so it costs, you have to buy your CVC between 8 and $17.50 per month. 
you'd have to repackage everything else into a service that a customer wants. And there's, there's, there's a proven price in elasticity in the market. It's about 60 bucks, 60 to 70 bucks a month. You can't mm. charge much more than that before your customers drop away. Yep. So that's all they can do. So they've, they've got a, all they can charge the customer is that. They've got to pay MBN, their own staff, and a whole bunch of other, MBN's just one of their input expenses to their business. So, but one of the things they can control is the amount of CVC. So CVC is, is an, it's called a connectivity virtual circuit. It's an aggregated amount per POI or per point of interconnector. There's 127 points of interconnect around Australia. So you'll purchase, let's say, 100 megabits a second into one POI in order to service, let's say, your 100 customers. Yeah. You know, if you have customers on a 50 megabit per second, for example, you have 100 customers and 100 megabits a second of, um, of uh, CVC, they get one megabit per second each or one fiftieth of what they've purchased. Right. So that's how they control cost. They control cost by constraining that down. That and, and I'm, I'm literally making it, making a circle shape with my finger and shrinking it here, right? And so if they want to control the cost, they m- they make the pipe smaller right. so that customers can get less traffic. Now, if that costs less, they would buy more. Mm. The size of that pipe would actually open up, and everything would go faster all of a sudden. It literally is. This literally is an accounting problem. <laughs> no, it, it's it's stunning, and then. It, the, the reporting on this is it's just fascinating how bad well the thing is that, and all the weak minds and all the people out there and everyone who thinks this well, I don't care what names you call me but you, if you honestly think that the technology being fibre versus copper has anything to do with it then, then you don't deserve to be in the debate please exit it and go and have an anti-vax debate somewhere yeah that, that, that was another interesting point I, it was a 2016 election remember Labor made a big deal out of this they said well we're going to we're going to get it to your home uh, we're not going to do what the Liberals have done and to the node to the end of the street whatever um, that that's just a bit of a red herring, really, isn't it? It's not really. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll go a bit longer into that. So, if we can assume that, that if we're going to do all fibre, uh, it was going to cost more, and, and there's a big point of debate over that. Hmm. I've built lots of fibre network. We, we we all said it was going to cost between seventy to hundred billion dollars. Um, I think the, 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 the libs came out and said it was going to be ninety something. I don't know what it was. I think it's probably seventy something bill, not the current forty to fifty. However, we're counting it now. Right. So, um, a lot of money. So. If the ultimate problem is to, uh, uh, to get a repayment on the cost of the asset, anything we do to make the cost of this asset less, therefore lessen the problem of getting a repayment on that, is better. Yeah. Remember, this is this this high charge is being this high charge is being levied to pay off the cost of the asset. Yeah. So if we spend a thirty further twenty five to thirty billion dollars on it, we just have that hangover for twenty five to thirty billion dollar time factors longer. Yep. If you know what I mean. So you know if 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 we're going to maintain a high CVC in order to repay the capital, then the more that the more we spend on the capital, the bigger the problem we've got. So anything to reduce the price to build this steaming pile of shit <laughs> is actually better in the long run. Because in a non-fault condition, right? Yeah. And I'll say this: you know, in a non-fault condition, if you have fifty meg to your house, if it comes on copper or comes on fibre, it, it, it's just going to do that. But if the guts of that network is configured to go, you know, if you're being contested 100 to 1, yep. that is for every 100 customers out there, you'll get access to one unit of traffic. It's just going to go slow regardless of what it is. There's some of the funniest things I've seen on Twitter. I've, I've logged off Twitter because it's just a steaming dumpster <laughs> pile of shot. But um, was this person who was, I was, you know, I just used to roll hand grenades and end end dates and it was just fantastic. It was just set all these little, these little, uh, just these entitled people off. Because mm. literally, it's the government. It's about the government giving them a cheap internet connection that would otherwise cost them four or six thousand bucks to install. Right, man, that's <laughs> the reality. 
and and this person was just incredulous. They had this fiber connection. They actually lucky they got fiber for home, mm-hmm. but it was still only going at like you know five hundred k a second. Well, why is that? <laughs> because it's not the problem. The yeah. technology is not the. Right. You couldn't tell them. Yeah, no, it must be, it must be at fault. Well, yeah, yeah. The, the, the fault is the accounting and the charging, right? Mm-hmm. And as a result, you're yeah. being constrained. And yeah. no, they just the problem points them in the face and it's like, no, no, it must be what the Liberals did. But that's, yeah, that, well, that was the public debate 2016. Oh, it should be, it, oh, copper's no good. We need fibre into the homes. And everyone, this is what, I mean, I, that's what I thought. I, that's what I was told by the yep. politicians. That's what I was thinking. But Easy soundbite, right? Fibre versus yeah. copper. I was called a Luddite back in 2009 and 10 for... For, for saying you want to use copper. And yeah. what I wanted was, I actually, well, that's a paper out there I, I put out there and I gave it to Conroy and a few others. Um, it was all about, I presented at an AFR broadband conference back in 2010, I think. And it was about, let, let's just build a backhaul network. So, I mean, I, I took the size of Highway 1. I, you know, basically, I proposed building an $8 billion backhaul-only network. So, to actually be able to, um, uh, uh, so, backhaul-only, best describe this. So it's, it, it's, it's building those infinite infinite lane freeways to every town in Australia. Mm. And the local competitor, the local uh, Telstra or the local pipe networks or the local iron or local TPG could put their own equipment in whatever flavour they want, whether it's wireless or D-slam or fibre to who gives a shit, right? Yep. And then just compete there. And, and I think that would have taken care of 75% of the country. That last 25%, because we're just so damn spread out, would have been hard. Yeah. And that's probably where the effort should have been spent. Yep. Um, but, you know, to give people in the city their, their, their fifth choice after they already have four choices of broadband provider... Yeah, no wonder people in the country get pissed off, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it, you know, it, if to get back to that initial question about if speed was what we're going for, apparently we're now ranked 60 in the world for speed. Yeah, it's shocking, isn't it? It's, it's awful. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I, I lived in Japan 11 years. I remember the NTT guys came around and stuck a cable... <laughs> Know, all the telephone wires are above ground there. Yep. Straight through, straight from the ca- uh, straight from the pole into the house. Twenty five minutes done, finished. Um, I, I have not. That was twenty twelve. Got that done. I think. Um, never seen faster speeds in my life. Uh, been hit. Well, I mean, twenty nineteen in Australia. In I can't get after. In the early days of the rollout, it was all Tas- Tasmania was the, um, you know, was the trial state, which is okay. You have to yeah. do something that big. You should run it. You know. Deploy it in some place, maybe not as bloody economically bereft and as green as Tassie, but anyway. Um, and um, the government was actually going to, because but back in the the days of the HFC rollouts, probably ten years before, probably five or six years before that, they, they uh, Telstra Optus wanted the rollout, or Optus, excuse me, wanted the rollout overhead cable. And there's actually specifically probably the first biggest amendments to the Telecommunications Act. And the 1997 Australian Telecommunications Act is, is world-leading piece of piece of legislation for the competitive framework it set up was fantastic. Everything else they put on since just choked it, to be right. honest. And probably the first big choking was the overhead cable stuff. And so um, residents didn't want more cables in their street because apparently, you know, five power cables. You know, you don't want when you've got five power cables, you don't want the invisible fiber cable taped to one of them for Christ's sakes. But anyway. <laughs> A lot of these lobby groups are funded by Telstra to actually stop this rollout. So they right. brought in legislation against overhead deployment of cables. Um, the government was going to wind that back so they could do it cheaply. Only them, though. Can you picture that? I mean, this is <laughs> this is what is wrong with with government. Yeah. You know that the picking of winners and, and that the 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 geniuses who've been um, you know Labor Party, Labor Union organisers their entire four year career before entering the Senate, Conroy, um, <laughs> think that all of a sudden that they're a genius and how to do this stuff. So what, what I mean, this this is it gets the is really annoying for a lot of people. Where do these people get the arrogance? And you brought up, um, let's get into the characters here. You brought up Conroy, and I know you've got a fair bit to say about him. And I brought uh, some respect for him too, because he's actually probably the most honest. Poli- I don't I don't have much respect for his logic and how he got to his MM position, but he, yeah. he he fights his battles. He doesn't he doesn't he doesn't doesn't back down. Well, 
this, this, this is... Can I swear? Yeah, absolutely. He doesn't grin, fuck you. You know, he shakes <laughs> okay. your hand with a big yeah. grin and goes, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. Right. He just told you how he's... Yeah. As much as you don't like it, at least you know where he stands. So you know I've got yeah. a lot of admiration for him in that respect. Mm. <laughs> Everything else he did, I thought was pus. Yeah. So, um, is it, I mean, uh, this, uh, maybe this is going off on a bit of a tangent here, but I mean, uh, do you think it would make a difference if we got more of our politicians from private industry? Yes. I mean, why would private industry people want to go into politics yeah. for a start? I mean, I'm, I've, I've, I've worked for the last year with, with, with politicians in Queensland as a part of being chief entrepreneur up here. And I really, you know, I, I, it was a volunteer role. I wanted to do it. I, I had a lot of, you know, I very much took a lot out of it and I found it very fulfilling at the same time, very frustrating. Hmm. Um, we do ourselves no favour with the request from government to help. Yeah. Um, at all. They're, they're all very nice and they're lovely, whatever, but they're just unproductive morass. Yeah. Um, and they're proud of that. So... Do they, I mean, are they imbued with this idea that only they know how to do this stuff? I mean, oh, is yeah. it... Oh, they, they really I mean, I, I recall, because back when, you know, it was uh, the Rudd, Rudd had been elected and you had that, those kitchen cabinet, you had like Gillard, Rudd, I think Swan... Tanner, I want to say, were there as well. I can't remember now. But there was this cabal, mm. if you know what I mean, of people who, who you know, it's always it was large. And I get it. You know, you, you get certain people who are more capable than cabinet. Yeah. So that's, that's, I don't mind that happens. But that, that you, 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 you go to meetings and you just, you got the impression they were saying, we're going to do this and you, we're going to, we're going to, this is our plan and you're just going to have to do it. And we're like, we're not fucking <laughs> bits of timber, right? You can just push around. Yeah. You know, we're going to counteract to this. This is, this is our business. I mean, when they bought in the MBN stuff, they basically said, right, because of, the term cherry picking we can't have private industry cherry picking taking all the easy customers yeah. only MBN should get the easy customers <laughs> um, therefore we're going to stop every private enterprise from extending their network yeah. so basically they, they made it they froze it they wanted to freeze the network in place now I lobbied to, to, to we're up against nothing we, we got, we got uh, included two kilometre extensions right um, because we needed that because like, otherwise we built this asset we can't, we can't grow which mm -hmm. is you might as well take it off us it's yeah. just incredible um, and we and we sold pipe as you noted before for not very much money apparently, <laughs> but anyway. Um, and so um, and, and then TPG got hold of that, and TPG did this massive local fibre to the building rollout, and they were going to do this, this this amazing rollout all through the country. And and everyone's gone bloody hell, and they were using the two kilometre extension rule, the rule specifically put in to allow them to do this, yep. right? And then all of a sudden everyone realised what it meant, and they bought out a regulation to stop them, <laughs> to protect MBN. So we actually bought out a regulation to prevent a private infrastructure build. Clever, huh? It's uh, yeah. Uh, it it just makes you it mm. makes you want to weep, doesn't it? It does. Um, there's a, there's a couple other things here that you mentioned that c could also be done to improve competition. You talk about land access issues. So um, how, how it actually works right now? So if you're a telecommunications carrier, yeah, you want to get into business. I recommend it. You, you mail you mail the department off three thousand bucks, and they send you back a little carrier license certificate. They even laminate it. It's not very good. Three grand, but anyway, um, and then that gives you lots of rights. That gives you the rights under Schedule One and Schedule Three of the Telecommunications Act to uh, to enter land and to actually dig it up to install a telecommunications service, and then and then that's about how much we've spent on this bloody equipment for the podcast. I think um, maybe we should have bought one of them. So, but there's certain things. So, like some landowners can they can gain they can they can gain they can say no, I object to you doing that, which is fair. You get yep. an objection, but Unless there's an actual objection there, they can't stop you. They, they can drag it out for three or six months in the courts. So just getting a, a better framework around that, you yeah. know, and sort of say, and, and, and stop that gaming of the system. Um, so that's the land access stuff. What's the other one in there? Facilities acts uh, undertake recosting exercise of duct and facilities access. Yeah, right. Access. So um, when when uh, back into the late 90s, uh, just after the Telecommunications Act came through, um, 
certain facilities were declared. Some of those facilities so were underground networks, so ducting and uh, pit and pipe infrastructure in the streets. The stuff that we'd paid Telecom to install yep. over all these years, uh, Telecom had to give access to that. Um, so, uh, so before you get to dig the street up to put your own cable in, you then you have first have to go to every other carrier in that street and say, hey, can I share your facilities? Before I dig the street up, can we do this? Yep. And they're supposed to negotiate freely. It, it took a few years to get a reasonable solution out of Telstra because they fought it which on behalf of their shareholders, they probably should have, but they fought it and came to a, a model agreement. And that model agreement started in the early 2000s at $6 a metre a year for access right. to underground facilities. And that just grew at, I want to say, I don't know, about 4 or 5% a year, about a bit more than inflation. Yep. Um, when you think about it, it probably costs $1,000 a metre to dig a really big duck bank, which you can probably take, which has a, has a depreciative life of 100 years. You can probably put 60 to 100 cables in that. Yep. The cost, because in the legislation, it should be based on cost. Yep. So the depreciative cost should have been closer to 50 cents to a dollar a metre per year. Mm-hmm. The six bucks was easy. So in the CBDs where the customers are dense, you could actually deploy network at six bucks and it made financial sense. The further you got out of town where the commercial customers got less, that became a real hindrance. Yep. So if they repriced that, it would allow that all these network, all these commercial networks just to breathe out, just to go another 20 or 30 kilometres out of town yep. to get more customers. Once again, no... no um, no, no imposter government, fully in keeping with the intent of the 97 legislation. Yep. And it would have been, a, would have been a, 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 a something almost free to do. And don't forget to visit us at men2podcast.com where you can find links to all our content via your favourite podcast app.